If you missed the introduction, my name is Mike. I'm the pastor here at Christ Church. Really glad to see you. I'm going to focus your attention out of the back middle portion of our worship guide. That's where uh, the scripture on which our sermon this morning is going to be based. I'll invite uh, Dennis Ford. He's going to uh, read for us in a moment. Let me just tee up the text and, and really our series as we're slowly going through the gospel according to Luke. That this, what we're holding in our hands, what we're looking at here, this text, it comes to us all the way from the first century. And it's a carefully recorded account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, Luke, the, the Dr. Luke, who accompanied the Apostle Paul in a lot of his missionary adventures that you see in, in um, the Acts of the Apostles, he tells us why he's writing this. He has, a, he has a purpose in mind as he writes Luke. It's not just a story that he's telling. He writes so that your faith will be built. This is what he writes in Luke 1. He writes that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught about Jesus. He wants to build and strengthen the faith of Christians. He wants them to have certainty and confidence that if we build our whole lives, if we bank our whole selves on Jesus, he is a sure and solid foundation. We can believe everything that Luke's writing. Luke's been chronologically moving through the life and ministry of Jesus. And here in chapter 8, we're still in the very early days of Jesus's public ministry. And he's preaching, he's teaching in northern Israel in the province known as Galilee. In our text this morning, it actually begins the first of three consecutive stories where Jesus demonstrates unbelievable power and authority. We're getting more of a picture of who this Jesus is. Uh, this week, we're going to see his power and authority over nature. Next week, over unseen spiritual powers. And in two weeks from today, not this sun or next Sunday, but the Sunday after, seeing his power demonstrated over disease and death itself. And a key question that Luke is answering through these three stories over this next three weeks is one that the disciples ask. If you look at uh, um, the midpoint of, of verse 25, uh, who then is this? Who is Jesus? Luke's trying to answer this question. That's what we'll look at today. Dennis. Let us hear God's word, a reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, we confess that unless you open our eyes now, we can't see. Unless you open our hearts, we're closed to you and to your word. So humble us now. Our God, give us hearts of flesh in place of hearts of stone so that we can love you and trust every word you speak. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, following Jesus, the life of faith, being a Christian is often conceived of as being as sweet as a Hallmark card and as easy as a stroll in the park. Right? Like as opposed to what it actually is when we encounter uh, the scriptures. It's a, it's a war for faith in the face of trouble. 
And that's really what the life of faith is like. On the surface uh, of this story in Luke chapter 8, it might actually validate this false way of thinking that, that the Christian life is very easy. Because if you just run over it quickly, you, just, you, know, you don't give it much thought. It's a story about a big storm that comes up. Jesus tells the waves, peace, be still, and then everything's better. And the moral of the story is God makes your life easy. Isn't it great, great to be on Jesus' team? He just makes your life easy. But as we look at the story a little bit more carefully, as we dig beneath the surface, there's actually tons here in these few verses that might trouble us, that, that would require of us more than just a, a sweet, simple, easy faith, but more of a, a gritty faith. Notice the disciples' reaction to Jesus' miracle, right? The disciples' reaction to Jesus' miracle isn't, oh, how neat, great timing, Jesus, thank you, and then, you know, giving each other high fives and hugs. Now, again, look at the middle of verse 25. What happens? They are afraid. They're marveling. They're in awe. They are, they are troubled by Jesus. And the disciples get it. They, there's actually something in this scene that they get that perhaps we don't. Something that's just happened, which is difficult and troubling to their faith. And we'd be wise to understand this too. Today, we're going to focus on three details that Luke tells us here in chapter 8 about who Jesus is, about the life of faith, the life of following him, that aren't easy, that really should trouble us, should, should shake us up a little bit, but they're, they're given by God here with the intent to expand our faith, to strengthen our faith, to make it deeper and truer. And so what we're going to do is we're going to expand our outline for the sermon, kind of like one sentence, one clause at a time, and we're going to try to answer the question that the disciples ask, which, which is, who then is this? Who then is this? What kind of man is this? Who is Jesus? And this is the first part of our outline. Jesus is the God-man. Jesus is the God-man. Our story has Jesus and his disciples entering a boat uh, on the Sea of Galilee. And this is actually, it's a huge lake. It's in northern Israel. Sometimes it's called the Lake of Gennesaret. And they're crossing from its western side to its southeastern side, which next week they'll, they'll reach the shore in a region called the Gerasenes. And so his disciples... Many of them who are able-bodied fishermen, they're seamen, they've been doing this for their whole lives, they hop into the boat and they begin this journey across the Sea of Galilee with Jesus. And what does Jesus do here? He sleeps. He falls asleep. He gets into this gently rocking boat and he falls asleep. And the, and the, fact, that, the fact that people sleep is actually one of my favorite things about humans. Like I, just, I love this feature that is uh, included in every person that, uh, that has come into the world. The fact that men and women both old and young, rich or poor, powerful or weak, that everyone sleeps at some point is just hilarious to me. Like, I, I, I take a lot of joy at it. Somebody, somebody might be like this really influential politician or like a stockbroker, the king or queen of, of a nation, a well-known musician. They normally make people really nervous by their presence, but at some point they're going to need a nap. Like, it doesn't matter how strong or confident you are during the day, no matter how admired you are, at some point, you're going to have to get into your jammies. Like, you're going to change your clothes, probably. You're going to snuggle in and under a blanket. You're going to yawn. You're going to stretch. And then you're going to sleep. It's hilarious. You're going to do this every day. Your mouth will probably open without you intending for it to open. There might be a little bit of drool dribbling down. You'll have that weird REM eye movement going on. There might even be some snoring. This is the case for all of you, and I could laugh right now just imagining all of you sleeping. It would be adorable. Um, but you're going to sleep, and you're going to do this probably every day for the rest of your life. And here, Jesus sleeps. He sleeps like you do, right? Luke, uh, like, 
He says he's, he's sleep sleeping uh, with all the little things that sleep entails for us. And this detail that Luke includes, it simply points out this reality that Jesus is human. He is human. He's a, he, he's a person. He gets tired. He gets sleepy. In the Gospels, we also see him getting hungry, weary from a long journey. His emotions hit him in a particular way. He gets bigger. He gets taller as he ages. He is really like us. Jesus is actually human. And yet, at the exact same time, almost in the same breath, we see that Jesus is totally not like us. Because when the storm beats down on the boat and the disciples wake Jesus up in their panic, look at the middle of verse 24 there, Jesus wakes and he does something very not human. With a word, he rebukes the wind and the waves. He tells them to shut it. And these raw forces of nature, recognizing the voice of their creator and master, they heal like a pair of dogs. And the disciples understood that this wasn't like some party trick, some incantation. No, they understood that the person in the boat with them was none other than God Almighty. There's a psalm that ancient Israel would sing, Psalm 107. It was a song that would have been well known by Jesus' Jewish disciples. It would be a song that they would have sung and prayed countless times growing up in their synagogues. And it was a song about Yahweh, the God who rescued the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And he is the God over the wind and the waves. Listen to some of Psalm 107. This is what it says. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. The people's courage melted away in their, e in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them. Yahweh delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. This is an ancient song of Israel that's being enacted in the presence of these disciples in this boat with this person who was just asleep a moment ago. In the boat, the disciples have encountered a Jesus who is totally human, he eats, he sleeps, and at the same time, he is totally God. He's the master of the howling winds and the raging waves. So who, who is Jesus? What manner of man is this? Well, Jesus is the God-man. Totally God, totally man. What does this reality mean for us? What, is it, what does it mean when this dawns on the disciples? Well, again, if you look at verse 25, they were afraid of this reality. They weren't, they weren't cheered up and, 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 and glad about it. They marveled. They said to one another, who, who is this? He was just asleep. He, but he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. It shakes them. It rattles them. This reality of Jesus being both God and man, it should trouble you. Right? It's wild to actually consider this. It's not something that's easily grasped. It's not sweet and easy. It takes faith to believe this kind of a, a rugged faith. It doesn't, it doesn't give you, if this doesn't give you a sense of awe, then you're not seeing it rightly. Because when the disciples ask, who then is this? It shakes them. It rattles them. It requires faith to believe this. Who is Jesus? Well, he's the God-man. He explodes our categories and our logic, and, and this can only be received and followed by faith. So who, who then is this? Who's Jesus? Well, he's the God-man. This is the second part of our outline. He is the God-man who leads us into the storm. This is a second kind of troubling feature of the story. He is the God-man who leads us into the storm. In verse 22, Jesus says something that kind of at first glance just seems kind of insignificant, just a throwaway line. He says to the disciples, 
let's go across to the other side of the lake. The disciples are disciples of Jesus, so they follow his instructions, they get in the boat, and they start crossing. And this leads them directly into the most, you know, frightening moment of their lives. I'm not a meteorologist, uh, there's a lot smarter people than me, but they note that, that this particular lake, um, the lake of, uh, of Gennesaret, that it's 700 feet below sea level, it's surrounded by mountains and hills, and so what happens is that uh, cool air will sweep down over the mountains into the water, and this will cause these sudden uh, hurricane-like gales, uh, uh, sudden monstrous violent windstorms, and they just wreak havoc in the region. They're well known in this body of water. And here are the disciples, they've probably experienced and seen storms like this before. They've been out in the water for a long time as fishermen, but here they panic. There might be a particular ferocity to this. And they go to Jesus, and they're probably screaming over the sound of the wind of the waves, and they're saying, help, we're dying. This is unlike something, like anything we faced before. And the other Gospels, uh, Matthew and Mark, they, re- they record this story as well. And they actually have the disciples waking Jesus up with a bit of an accusation, a bit of an edge to their voices. Uh, they say this, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? That's how they say it. Imagine perhaps their frustration in that moment, right? Jesus, this was your idea. You told us to get into the boat and to cross. You brought us here in the first place. We followed your instructions, and look what that's brought us. And this is something which I think troubles many people who begin to follow Jesus. They begin the life of faith. We think that following Jesus, doing what he commands, will make things sweet and easy for us. Right? Like, uh, if I'm with Jesus, if I obey his commands, I'll be able to avoid the storms of life. Because Jesus is a VIP. If I'm with him, if I'm loved by him, you know, he forgives my sins, he brings me back to the Father, I get to skip the line. I get the royal treatment. I'm with him. Right? I get to avoid the troubles that most people in, in this world encounter. Many people, they think, maybe like the disciples, if Jesus is in the boat with me, if I'm close to him, no evil can happen to me. Life will go as I want it to. No disasters heading my way. I've just got blue skies ahead. And like the disciples, when, when the storm hits you, when sickness comes, when a, when a loved one dies suddenly, when your life just feels like one failure after another, when you, when you lose your job and your savings, or when you look back on your life and all you see is pain and more pain, and you feel fear, maybe you feel some anger, and you're saying, Jesus, you're here, don't you care? If you're the God-man, if you're all-powerful, all-loving, infinite, eternal, why is this storm happening? You can imagine many, many martyrs, many heroes of the Christian faith who, who, for following Jesus, what this meant was walking directly into the storm of torture and imprisonment and death, asking this very question, right? Now, this might seem to you uh, like the worst pitch possible um, for becoming a follower of Jesus, right? Like, follow Jesus, your life will probably get worse, right? But that's actually what we see throughout the scriptures, throughout history. Again, the Christian faith is not something that's sweet and easy. It's often a life of rugged faith with joy at the end. Now, there's something, I think that, I don't want to sound really pessimistic this morning, but there's something actually very comforting in this passage, and it is visually depicted. Because where is Jesus in all of this? Where is he located in this story? Jesus is with us in the storm. 
Like in the story, Jesus is not absent in the disciples' fear and suffering. He's in the boat with them. Jesus is often called Emmanuel, and that, that literally means God is with us. That, that Jesus is in your suffering there with you. God's not distant. He's close. Christ himself is sympathetic to the things that you're going through. He understands your fear and pain from the inside, being human, because he's, he's completely man. Jesus suffered too. If, if, we, if we read through the entirety of the Gospels, we see that his whole life from start to end was that of rejection and mistreatment, false accusations. His own people, the people he came to save, hated him. They arrested him. Finally, they put him to death on the cross. Jesus' sufferings prove that he understands your sufferings, whatever they are. Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus is called uh, a high priest who's able to sympathize with our weakness because he, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Sometimes in our sufferings, we imagine that Jesus is, is on the shoreline watching us as we feel like we're being swamped, as we're drowning in the storm. He's giving, a, giving us a thumbs up and saying, you know, keep on going. But no, he's in the boat with you, in your sufferings, in the storm. Jesus' precious martyrs, those who have lost their lives in faith, even you, when, when you're suffering and struggling with the evil in the world, he is with you in suffering. It's troubling to know this reality that following Jesus often brings you into the storm, not away from it. But the comfort is, is that you don't go alone. He goes with you. As the psalmist in Psalm 23 reflects, as he, as he thinks of his own pain, he writes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For those who feel abandoned by God this morning, who, who are encountering storm after storm in their own lives, hear this. The God who leads you into the storm is with you in the storm. He understands. Now, for the last part of our outline, we have to ask another why question. We have to dig a little bit deeper here. And, and we have to ask this question of why would Jesus the God-man lead us into the storm in the first place? Like, why not lead us away from the storm? Why not chase the storms in our life before they even begin? Why not prevent the deepest hurts and pains before they even start? Why not that? And so this is the last part of our outline, maybe the most troubling part for some of you. It's asking the question, who then is this? Who's Jesus? Jesus is the God-man who leads us into the storm to strengthen our faith in him. Jesus is the God-man who leads us into the storm for this purpose, to strengthen our faith in him. The disciples wake Jesus from his sleep. Jesus stands up. He speaks a word to the wind and the waves. They submit to him. And then he turns to his disciples, look at verse 25, and he asks them a very simple question. Look there in the text. He asks, where is your faith? Where's your faith? This whole encounter, this whole story, the demonstration of Jesus' humanity, of his divinity, Jesus leading his people into this deadly storm, they lead up to this question, where's your faith? The disciples have been following Jesus for some time now, right? This isn't their first rodeo with Jesus. They've seen, they've heard Jesus in action. They've seen him healing people. They've seen him forgiving sin. They've seen him teaching the good news of the kingdom with incredible authority. They're impressed by Jesus. And, and these disciples have actually committed themselves quite a bit to Jesus. They've left everything to follow Jesus. They've joined him wherever he goes on his traveling ministry tour. Uh, these disciples, you, you could just describe them, they are men of faith. They are people actually to be admired. And yet the storm has exposed something in them. 
something that wasn't obvious before. Jesus has used this storm to reveal something about their faith, that the calm waters, the peace that normally surrounds them just couldn't. The disciples had faith in Jesus, certainly, but it was easily sunk faith. It, it was faith that wasn't yet ready to face a storm. See, they were willing to trust and follow Jesus, to listen to him, but only when things were going really well for them, when, when life was as they wanted. And this might have been genuine faith, but it was at least immature faith. It was faith without root, without foundation, faith that was easily blown away by the winds of trouble and pain. And Jesus points this out for them. Where's your faith? Don't you trust me? Is this all it took for you to lose hope in me? John Calvin said this. He said, whenever any adverse occurrence takes place, for you that might be someone's rude comment at work, ruffling your feathers, to, to something as serious as contracting a serious illness, to you know, being troubled by something you read in the scriptures. Whenever an adverse, any adverse occurrence takes place, the Lord tries our faith. He tests our faith. When the disciples were covered by the billows, their weakness, which formerly lay concealed, was discovered. Jesus leads us into the storm for a particular purpose, to build our faith in him, to strengthen our faith in him, to show the true condition of our faith. The storm is a great revealer of our faith, a faith which might, in, in calm conditions, look really strong, really robust, is exposed by the storms of life. This is an interesting display of, of, of one of the types of soil that we read about earlier in chapter 8. If you can remember uh, Jesus' parable of the four different soils, he describes the lots of different kinds of people listening to him, following him, as being four different types of soil. Um, though they all kind of pledge faith to him, they want to follow him in some way, they're listening to the words he's saying. Some of them receive Jesus like seeds that are planted on rocky soil. The, these seeds might shoot up very quickly. You'll see the green shoots. But their roots never go very deep. And so when the storms of life, when the heat of persecution and trouble beat on them, they die away because they have no roots. Their faith doesn't last. Jesus leads his people into the storm. He is with them in the storm, helping them because of this. He wants our faith in him to be strengthened, to be rooted, to be able to take whatever comes. Jesus wants your faith to be seaworthy, to be a ship that just doesn't sink because it trusts Jesus more than what their eyes can see, more than what our mind can work out logically. This is the reality. A storm is coming for you. Jesus is actually leading you into this. Things might actually be calm for some of you, and, and you don't connect with Luke 8 right now. But listen, it's coming. And Jesus wants us. He desires for us. He loves his people, and he wants us to be strengthened, to be matured, to be rooted, so that we'll cling to him and him alone no matter what comes believing that, it, that it's Jesus who is our, our true pilot, our true savior, that he can be trusted, that he'll bring us home. Who then is this Jesus? Jesus is the God-man who leads us into the storm to strengthen our faith in him. Let's end here. John Chrysostom, he was a fourth century bishop in, in the city of Antioch. It's part of uh, what's now the Republic of Turkey. He was, he was a really gifted preacher back in the day. He was a, like a, a celebrity pe preacher back in the fourth century. And his sermons, if you read them, they're very poetic, they're very beautiful. And, and he, he preached a sermon based on, on John 8, you know, nearly 1,600 years ago. He preached to a church filled with people like you who sleep, 
who struggle, who, you know, who, who are trying to pursue Jesus. And, and this is what he said as he was going through Luke chapter 8. He said this, We are also sailing on a voyage, not from one land to another, but from earth to heaven. Let us prepare a strong ship, the kind that the buffeting and discouragements of this life will not submerge, or the wind of false pretense raise up, but will be sleek and swift. If we prepare the ship in this way, we will sail with a favoring wind and be drawn up to the Son of God, our true pilot. And he will not permit our ship to be overwhelmed. Even if countless winds blow, he will rebuke the winds and the sea and will bring about a great calm in place of the tempest. Friends, one day you'll face the final storm. On, on your final day, whether that is soon or that is far away, death is sure to come, and you will cross from this life into the next. And everything you hold on to, everything you hold so tightly to right now, your health, your career, your ambitions, your money, your relationships, your family, your wealth, it'll all be blown away. It'll be of no protection to you. Where will your faith be then? Who is your faith in now? Is your faith sinkable or is it rooted and anchored in Christ? So the good news of Jesus is that Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ is risen and Christ will come again. So that in the face of any storm, even the storm of death itself, our hope is in the one who, because of his great love for us, rebukes the wind and the waves and he brings about a great calm in the place of the tempest. And may you know and love Jesus, the God-man, the one who is sympathetic and yet powerful. May you follow this Jesus wherever he leads you, trusting his goodness and his vision. May God graciously, though it's often painful, show you your weakness through your trials and pain. And may your faith be strengthened, ready for every storm that comes, because Christ is the only one who can rebuke the storm and bring you the peace you so long for. Let's pray. Father, we ask for, for faith that trusts what you say more than what our eyes can see. As we encounter pain and difficulty in this world, that, that we would see in it what you are trying to do through it, God. Some pain is beyond understanding, it's beyond explanation, and yet we can be sure of this, that, that we are to have faith in you. And then your, your great aim is to rescue us and to bring us to the heavenly shore. So, Father, help us to commit ourselves to you as a church, as individuals. Build our faith. Strengthen it. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen.